what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. Chris Fry is right across the table from me. My name is Alan Jackson. Chris, how are you doing today? I am doing excellent. Are you? Yes. Good. We had a good couple of nights of some film screenings. I know it's a film that we'll be talking about a little bit later in the show here in a moment. Uh, so we've we've kept busy this week, but we're here together to record our show. This episode today, we're going to be doing two film reviews, Bridge of Spies, the latest Steven Spielberg film, and then a documentary called Finders Keepers, which we will tell you all about in a little bit. Nice little fun, lighthearted family story <laughs> involved, in that, involved right, in that documentary. Right. So two film reviews we'll be uh, conducting here shortly. We'll ease into some movie news shortly after that, and then we'll wrap up the show in our traditional fashion by giving you a recommendation for the month. Uh, just a film that we think you ought to check out. It could be one that maybe you've missed in the past, maybe one that's available now to check out in theaters or online. Uh, just a film we think you ought to turn an eye to and give it, a, give it a, a chance if you haven't already. So Chris, with that, all that being said, we've laid out the agenda. We know where we're going on this. Let's cross the bridge of spies and get started. Okay. Okay. We've got a Soviet spy. But there's a wrinkle. They got our spy pilot. Or the head full of classified information. The Russians want their man back before he cracks. We want you to negotiate the swap. I'm an insurance lawyer. I'm not sure I want to pick that up. Are you good at what you do? This will be a first for the both of us. Chris, in the latest Steven Spielberg film, Bridge of Spies, we have Tom Hanks, who is kind of becoming the, 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 the Steven Spielberg go-to guy now. Sure. Scorsese's got Leonardo DiCaprio. True. I think Spielberg's got Tom Hanks. Yeah. Fair to say. I know yeah. they've worked together on, of course, Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. The Terminal. Catch Me If You Can. Catch Me If You Can. And now they've got Bridge of Spies. But we have Tom Hanks playing uh, a real-life character. You know, this is a, a true story here. He's playing James Donovan, who is a, a lawyer who's recruited to help defend a Soviet spy, played by uh, Mark Rylance, uh, playing Rudolf Abel, a, a convicted Soviet spy in America. And, you know, the government wants to put on a show. They want to show that, hey, we're actually adhering to our Constitution, and we're going to give them due rights and put them in. But they obviously know that they they want to get this guy convicted. Oh, yeah. So let's ask James Donovan just to put on the show of, yes, we went through the, 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 the right due process, but ultimately the guy's going to get convicted. Well, James Donovan gets involved a little deeper than he may be expected and actually is instrumental in not only truly trying to defend or give at least a fair approach to the defense for the Soviet spy, but also becomes in- integral in the possible negotiation of a swap of a prisoner that is being held in Germany, an American prisoner, uh, that may be eligible for a swap with this. It becomes a, a very political, uh, a lot of intrigue, a lot of uh, tense moments as well. But the question I've got for you, Chris, is, is is when this film was announced, it didn't receive a whole lot of fanfare. It's not like everybody was just by, chomping at the bit, waiting for this new Spielberg film. It came out in the theaters. It, it's done fine business. It's not been a bomb by any means, but it hasn't been like a blockbuster either. It's just done good, adequate business. I don't hear a lot of people coming out of the movie theater just glowing about this film. I don't hear like over the top rave reviews. I don't even think I've heard anything about Oscar buzz with this film, but all that being said, I mean, does that matter? Did you enjoy the film? Was it a good solid film or did it just seem very, very slight in the grand scheme of things? You know, that's bridge of spies is an odd movie to begin mm-hmm. with. I mean, it's a Spielberg movie. It's world war two. So it's kind of familiar territory. He's working with a familiar actor, you know, Tom Hanks, but I don't know if it was the Coen brothers coming in and helping out with the script that maybe kind of adjusted point. things yeah. and maybe made it kind of strange. It, I liked the movie. Okay. Um, it's kind of a tough movie because 
it's not a courtroom drama because he does leave the courtroom and go outside, but it feels like a courtroom drama. To me, it felt like a John Grisham novel. And we've seen so many of those that you kind of know, okay, here's the start of the story. Here's the end of the story. And you kind of, it's very predictable. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, this is based in history, so it's predictable because it's written down in history books. But, you know, it's an aspect of history I didn't really realize how spies Mm -hmm. operated. And it goes a lot deeper than that. I guess probably in real life, if you read the spy books, you know, this or the history that this is based on. Interesting concept, but it strays away from details that probably would have made this a lot more interesting. Mm -hmm. That being said, I did like the movie. Um, The interesting part to me was, which is in contrast to what I thought it would be. I thought the interesting part of this movie would be once he got to Russia and started the hostage negotiation. Right. Okay. I thought all the stuff that would take place on American soil about him defending this spy to begin with, I thought that would be kind of boring because we've seen it a hundred million times before, like lawyer stuff. But what I was surprised at is I actually found the stuff that took place on American soil more interesting because Tom Hanks had to defend what he wanted to do. He actually really wanted to give it the old try and actually Mm -hmm. defend this person. Whereas he was basically being used as a paper tiger, like, oh, yeah, you know, you're a patsy. Stand up here and try to defend this guy where we're going to mow him over. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm actually going to do what you guys are saying you're doing. No, we're going to do what our for the constitution tells us to you know, do. And right. it's like, mm-hmm. okay, he is a spot. But the point is I'm still giving him a fair chance. And, sure. And even the tagline on the poster that was at the movie theater, which I can't remember now, it made it sound like this was going to be nothing but a kind of – go America, rah, 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 and like, you know, type of movie. And I was like, well, why didn't they release it, you know, around Independence Day or something like that, you know. But it's it's much more deeper than that about standing up for what you believe in mm-hmm. and trying to do what you think is right. Mm-hmm. And I have to give the movie credit for that. And I actually enjoyed that kind of like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Right Now, that being said, here's the old but. Yes. <laughs> but when it got to Russia, stuff that you would think would be very exciting because it would be very born supremacy or, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mission Impossible or James Bond-ish where he's like dealing with spies and having to negotiate and there's all this like cat mouse game. Just didn't really feel, I, I don't, you know, the whole movie is a lot of talking. Yes. Not a lot of action. But that part just somehow fell flat. And I don't know, mm-hmm. the movie is kind of long uh, for me. It's over two hours. So maybe by that point, I was just kind of like, okay, wrap it up. Um, I, I don't know. Well, what, I, I what don't think thoughts? it was that. I, I, I have a lot of your same sentiments. I did okay. like the film, ultimately. Okay. I did like it. I think there's more redeeming qualities for it than not. It was a very slight film. And that's where I was kind of lo- lobbing that up for you at the, in the intro. Sure. Because I do feel like it's very slight. I feel like there's a much deeper story every step of the way that... I would love to get into, but unfortunately we are given a very high level cursory storyline. I too found the, 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 por- the portion, the first half in America with the defense of the Soviet spy to be more interesting. Mm-hmm. I actually got a little lost when they got to Germany and to try to <laughs> negotiate the whole swap. Sure. And I'll get into one of my main big disagreements with the film in a moment. I think about I that know point. Where you might okay. be going. <laughs> and I agree too, that the end is not when you hear Spielberg doing a, political thriller and all this, you think it's going to be this real ratcheted up tension and emotion and the ending. I think they tried to plug that in, but it wasn't really there and it didn't need to be there. It was not meant to be a nail biter suspense film, which is, I think when you watch the trailer, they really try to play it up like it is. Right. The ending. Yes. Has a little moment of tense drama to it. Very slight though. Very simple. And you still know what's going to happen. Uh, it's almost like the the talk about what could happen was more dramatic than what actually did happen. Sure. Overall, though, I mean, I still admire the film for not caving in and saying we've got to, like, really ratchet up action and we've got to have, like, a car chase at the end or something like that. No, it was pretty much, okay, we're going to do this action. We're going to do this swap. Now, there's a chance it may not work, but in the end, it kind of goes the way you expect it to go. Mm-hmm. So no real surprises. Sure. So I guess that's one thing. You know, I think we're a culture that we're expected to be edge of our seat or surprises or twist or whatever. And this movie had none of those. It was pretty much, here's the story. They're going to follow this path. A couple little moments where it maybe change gears slightly, but not really anything dramatically, not anything that threw you off. And then it's going to end kind of nice, simple. And there we go. We're done. Um, the things I will say, I really did like about this film. First and foremost, um, the actor who I was not familiar with at all, Mark Rylance playing Rudolph Abel, the Soviet spy, 
Oh my gosh, that was one of the best performances I've seen this year. I think he was the best thing about the film. Oh. Uh, I agree. I was all in on him. And I think that may be a lot why, why when we got to Russia, I wasn't as he interested was because he, he was kind of disappeared because he he's stuck back in America, yeah. obviously. And I, yeah, I, I loved his performance. It was just, well, the, I got to tell you, the opening scene of this film, I thought was glorious. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I guess I'm more disappointed that none of the rest of the film lived up to that first 10 minutes. The suspense and tension, you're talking about his arrest. Yes. Yes. That was It genius. was a almost dialogue-free scene mm-hmm. where you're following him along in his day. But you're also realizing that there are moments where, you know, you're picking up on what his profession really is mm-hmm. and what's going on. And just the way they built that whole scene up was so masterfully done. It was well done. It actually got me really excited for the rest of the film. Not to say the rest of the film was a big letdown, but it's just it never matched that that virtuoso filmmaking that I thought the first 10 minutes had. Well, and this this makes me realize, or I want to bring up, that Steven Spielberg, he's a good director. You know, mm-hmm. He's made a lot of movies, and people just kind of discount him, me included. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really run out to see a Spielberg picture. You know, right. Not that he makes bad movies, but I'm just... He tends to go for more of the blockbusters or stuff that I'm just not in this subject matter. Like I never saw War Horse. Um, mm. Never. No. I've never seen War Horse. I've never seen The Terminal. I, I have seen The Terminal and I liked The Terminal. For the last 10 to 12 years of Spielberg films, I just have not gotten any heightened emotion for whatsoever. No, neither have I. Yeah. I you know, the Terminal was probably the last one that I can recall off the bat that I really liked. Okay. Um, but I liked Catch Me If You Can. That's probably the Catch last Catch Me If You Can was probably the last Spielberg that's more film recent. that I really just really thought was a great Spielberg film. But I think what what kind of nagged at me was that same thing where there've been reports supposedly with like when he came in to do Jurassic park two, cause he did that one as mm-hmm. well. Right. Yes. That he basically kind of phoned it in yeah. and he wasn't really directing stuff. Um, you know, who knows if that's true. It's kind of urban legend type stuff with this film, that first scene, I was like, wow, Spielberg really is, you know, he's still got it. He's mm-hmm. such a master. And then not long after, you know, after that, it kind of falls away, and then I feel like, okay, did he? Is he now phoning it in for the for the rest yeah. of the film? Not that I mean, the rest of the film still has some flourishes and touches, but that masterpiece of that opening scene, that those opening moments, really made me think, wow, you know, this is one of the greatest filmmakers working today. He's still got it. Yeah. I, so. I think anytime Spielberg Spielberg's in his in his wheelhouse now of doing the historical drama films, sure. I think that's just a passion for him now. I think it's obvious that he puts more passion into those films than he does the the more commercial ones. Sure. I mean, I look at probably the last big commercial film he did was the last Indiana Jones film, oh, which man. was not that great. No. Uh, he did Lincoln before this film, which obviously passion thing. a lot of people yeah. really liked. I thought it was good. I didn't think it was a masterpiece, but I thought it was good. Um, and he did now he may have just executive produced, but it had his name all over it. That 1010, the animated. Right. Film. He did, uh, he did not direct that. I don't believe okay. I think, was that Peter Jackson that directed that maybe, but yeah. he had like, he was like an executive producer, yeah. I believe. Right. But you know, really his last 10 years have been more of these historical drama, even going back to, uh, Munich and going mm-hmm. back to Amistad. Amistad yeah. Um, I think that's where his passion is. And I do think this film shows some of that passion. I think he's really enamored by the story. Mm-hmm. I think he's enamored by the history behind it. I think he's absolutely enamored by Tom Hanks's character, James Donovan. Yeah. I think he probably sees James Donovan. If I had to guess, Spielberg probably sees James Donovan as one of his personal heroes. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. Cause here's a guy that I'm going to do what America's, we're supposed to do. Right. And I'm not going to bow down to the people around me that to tell me I should, I should just let it go or I should let it slide. Right. And I think Spielberg really respects that kind of character. And I think that's the kind of person he loves to make a movie about. Right. He made it about Lincoln. Yeah. He's made it about Donovan here. So I think one of the th- ways we mentioned briefly that the Coens had to do with the script. The one time that I felt like I could see their like sense of wit kind of coming mm-hmm. through, was and there again maybe it's why he it made him my favorite character the Mark Reliance character of the spy Rudolph Abel is when he says a couple of times would it make a difference like yeah. he's kind of asked questions by Tom Hanks's character like I'll, you know aren't you aren't you concerned about you know aren't you concerned about this that people think that don't he's you seem like nervous or yeah he's like yeah, you don't seem nervous he's like well, would it, or would, would it, it matter help, would it help would it would help? help yeah and it's just like you know those kind of and the way he says it the way he yeah, delivers the it his good. eyes it's just. 
man. And I think that's kind of a coincidence. It's like, well, would it matter? You know, would it help? You know, it's just, that's just genius. I was a little let down though. That, that I agree with that point. And there's a couple other moments of some of the dialogue between Donovan and, and Abel that I thought was good. And I could tell a little bit of that Cone brother dialogue flair to it, but sure. it was really slight. I mean, I just really, really didn't, hmm. the dialogue didn't grab me as much as I wished it could have in a film like this. That is so dialogue heavy. Sure. So let me move on to some of my misgivings. Um, I think Tom Hanks is fine. I think he's very good in the role. It's actually one of the better Tom Hanks roles I've seen him play in a little while. Okay. Uh, It's a very typical Tom Hanks role. He's not stretching a whole lot, but it's good. But he plays it really good. He's kind of a modern day Jimmy Stewart or something like that where he just gets these roles. My problem with his character, though, and it's not a fault of Hanks, it's the writing, is I just really had a hard time swallowing the jump from him being hesitant to take the case because he knows it's kind of a setup situation. He knows he's going to be lambasted in the media. He knows it's going to be bad. It could look bad for his family. Right. And all of a sudden, after one dialogue with Abel, it seems like <laughs> he's on board. He's ready to go full tilt to defend this guy. Okay. okay. That I can, I can go with the film on that jump. Sure. His family gets put in danger in a couple situations, some very like threatening situations that really scare his entire family. Right. Doesn't seem to phase him. Hmm. Which again, okay, I'm still with the film. Where it lost me though is he gets to Germany to negotiate this trade. Right. And he finds out that there's another prisoner, a younger kid, trapped, and he all of a sudden just flips on. It's like, I want him too. And at that point, yeah. I'm just like, okay, let me just back up for a minute. Your family's in danger. You're personally in some level of danger where you are right now too. Right. You've already gone through all these hurdles to get your main prisoner to trade with an American prisoner that you're trying to help. But now just because you hear in passing about this other one, you're willing to almost throw all that possibly away mm-hmm. to try to get this other person to. At that point, I, I just didn't see enough of the Donovan character throughout the film to make me see that he was really honestly that strong-willed a person that he's just going to go do it no matter what. So at that point, when that happened, I said, really? He just... His wife and kids are already in danger. They have already been had shots fired in the house and everything. Right. But yet he's still willing to keep pushing it. I just didn't see enough of the story telling us more enough about him as a character to know that that's truly in his temperament to do. Yeah. So it lost me a little bit at that point. I I can see that. When that kind of subplot was introduced about the other person that was in Germany that needed to be gotten yeah. out there, you know, the other prisoner right. basically when that or not Germany, but in, you know, Soviet Russia or whatever, when that was introduced, I was kind of like, what, why are they even bothering with this? And then I get, you know, historically it, it happened, but it was, it was distracting. And I, I wish kind of, they could have just not had that thing at all and yeah. just concentrated on the swap for swap. Okay, and like, that was the true story. Right. It happened. So, I understand that so it 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 in, but it just seemed a little forced in there. Yeah. Kind and of I guess the connection, in. I guess I needed to see a little more of a connection. Why Hanks was willing to possibly jeopardize everything he'd worked toward right. to try to also shoehorn in this other kid, a kid he's never met right. a kid. He knew nothing about except what this one person told him in like a 30 second blip. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah. that was my whole kind of leap of, it was a little too much of a leap of faith to follow the story at that point. Um, I, I really did like the part in America at the beginning, the first half with Abel and with the dialogue and what's happening with that. I lost a little interest when he went to Germany and to try to negotiate swaps and all that. It, it started to go a little, little off the rails for me. Not mm-hmm. much, just a little bit. Sure. I was happy when I saw Abel back towards the end of the film, but it was a, a fairly brief moment. So I would have loved to explore his character more sure. like we did in the first half of the film. Sure. Um, that's really, I think that, that, that other subplot getting shoehorned in, in the latter half probably was my biggest misgiving of the film and just how quickly Donovan was able to grab a hold of that when I just, I think that would have been a really, really difficult thing to, to help us believe. Yeah. I, I think we're on the same page. I, I will say one of the things that, I've critiqued Spielberg for, and I feel like definitely other people have. I'm not um, alone in it, but sometimes sentimentality gets in the way mm-hmm. of his um, of his films. They they become overly sentimental and like um, sugary, I guess you would say. Um, I didn't feel like this film did that. At the end of the film, as they were wrapping things up, there was a chance where Hanks is there's a callback to an earlier scene where he's been on a bus or a mm-hmm. metro train. I can't remember, yeah. and he's on that 
he's in that place again and people are looking at him just like they were the first time and feelings are a little different. And I was like, oh, here we go. You know, this is kind of the gauzy moments that are going to drive me crazy and it's going to end up. But he undercuts that by having Hanks look out the window and he sees some kids climbing over walls and stuff, being being kids. But that makes Hanks recall what he saw back in Germany with the whole East and West Germany and the wall being set up. And I I liked that. Kind of like, yeah, you think you're okay, but always remember this is happening. And I... I, I've really appreciated that. Well, and on that same token, I will say uh, they had every chance, even the very, very final scene of the film where Hanks returns home, uh, they could have really amped up the sentimentality. And it was a very nice, pleasant ending and a little humorous ending to it where, you know, I, I don't want to give it away, but basically he comes back in the house and he hasn't been able to tell his family what he was doing. And mm-hmm. He's still not telling them, but they piece it together from what they see on the news and what they, what they hear. Um, and just his, kind of exhaustion at that point. It, it was funny. Sure. I thought it worked. It was a nice buttoned up cute ending to the film. And I, I totally bought it. I, I thought it was great. And again, they could have really turned up the swelling of the music <laughs> and really had this powerful moment with a husband and wife embrace. And sure, you know, but they didn't, they, they played it more for a little bit of a chuckle and a little bit of a, yeah, this probably is how he felt when he got home after the experience he'd just gone through. So I, I thought it was a nice ending to the film. Uh, it could have gone really, really bad. And I agree with you. I think they did a good job of keeping it under control. Okay. So Bridge of Spies, we both liked. Yes. You know, it's not one of my favorite Spielberg films. I still consider it a very slight Spielberg film in, in his greater cinemato- you know, uh, filmography of the 80s and early 90s. But, but it was a good film. Um, you know, it, it was a good entry into his filmography. I will say that. So good. All right. So that's Bridge of Spies still playing in movie theaters as we are recording this. Uh, next up. Let's talk about the documentary Finders Keepers. Tonight, an unusual, disturbing discovery. A Charlotte area man he made a deal to buy a smoker at an auction. Guess what he found stuffed inside? An amputated leg and has turned the smoker into a tourist attraction. Well, the man who lost the foot in a plane crash is reportedly heading to reclaim the foot. Not so fast, says Wisnett. Now Wisnett's getting a lawyer. It is making national headlines. He's it- suing you. For your own leg. It is a freak show, no question. And I turned it off. You never will know about the tragedy that this was born of. Alan, I'm going to set up the documentary Finders Keepers by reading a brief little part from our friends over at IMDb. The description reads, Shannon Wisnett purchased a grill at an auction. Inside the grill was an amputated leg. (laughs) What follows is a story centered on the enterprising Wisnett and John Wood, the man whose leg wound up in the grill due to an odd chain of events. Mm-hmm. And that's where they kind of leave it. Yes. Uh, side note, IMDb does not mention this. This film takes place primarily in uh, Maiden, North Carolina, which is yes. geographically maybe 20, 25 miles maybe from where we're sitting if right that. now. If that. Because yeah. we are located. We Mesh Studios are in Hickory, North Carolina. I can get, I can get to Maiden in about 20 minutes. Alan actually attended the same high school as Shannon Wisnett. Yes. And did not know him apparently very well. Not directly, no. Um, but so Alan knows, you know, has an idea of some of the people that are mentioned that I mentioned. Alan, this documentary, since it does play, t- take place in the South, it kind of sets up an odd, quirky premise that if the film is played all over the United States, which it has been, mm-hmm. is it a chance for people to hop on the Southern derision bandwagon and just say, look at these two idiots up on screen, you know, what a stupid place the South must be. Is it kind of like a duck dynasty centered around a grill and a leg? How, how do you, how did you feel the, how do you think the filmmakers did with presenting these two characters and the story? Well, I think actually it was a strength of the film. I think you could have watched the first 15, 20 minutes of the film and gotten in the impression that yes, this is all about look how dumb these people are. Uh, backwater country folk and some of their decisions. When you really look at the whole film and the fact that they had is yes, you had the two main characters, but there were also several characters around them, four or five characters that probably got a lot of attention with interviews and discussion as well. That I think by the end of the film, you feel are extremely strong, powerful, well-meaning people. Mm hmm. And even the two main characters, and we'll, you know, we'll get into more of the details here, but John Wood, Shannon Wisnett, you know, yes, both have faults. The faults are very evident on screen. 
But there, if you watch the whole film, you also understand that both of them have some demons. Both of them have some things they're fighting against. And I think it, it kind of reminds you of the, all of human nature. You can have somebody who is a jerk, who is an idiot, who is anything else you want to label them as. There's always something that's driving that. You it's know? Not, you're saying, and I, I'm, I think we're on the same page with this mm-hmm. film. It would be too simple and way too many documentaries or narrative films do this where they just paint some character or person in real life with very broad strokes and just generalize everything. Here's, you know, a kind of quirky person who doesn't seem educated and is very loud talking. Here's somebody who was born into privilege and had a lot of money and maybe and went down the wrong path and got into drugs. And you, you see it and it's just like, Oh, okay, whatever. And it just seems to play out. But I, I agree that I think the filmmakers tried to, you know, go deeper and try mm-hmm. to be more sensitive to both subjects and make you realize, you know, it's more than just what it appears on the surface. Absolutely. Some funny news story that's gone in 30 seconds. Well, it's such an interesting premise for a documentary because, yes, I'm sure you get into it and the, the, on the surface and the story itself is hilarious. Yeah, it's But ridiculous. I think the mother, the mother of jo- John Wood's mother kind of sums it up in one moment where, where she says, you hear this story and it's a funny story. Until you realize it's born of tragedy. Mm-hmm. It's like, yep, that's pretty much it. You know, it is funny. Half the movie you're laughing because right. the situation is ridiculous. Both both gentlemen, Wood, who lost the leg, Sharon Wisnett, who bought the leg in a smoker. At a, from a, yeah, bought it both, at an auction. It was inside the smoker, unbeknownst to anybody. Right. He bought the smoker, got it home, opened it up. There's the amputated foot that John Wood had been keeping around. Both gentlemen are excellent storytellers yes in their own right both people could be the focus of their own documentary just them but as wood points out at one point what would he be without Wisnett? because they kind of he's like the man i don't know he's like i've heard people say that they have their own twin in the world well i don't know about that but this guy's like my own personal satan he's like the complete opposite of me my my own little antichrist right antichrist yeah Yeah. Yeah. and I, i think that idea of like somebody that's just so polar opposite at you but share some similarities. They yes. both had family problems in their background. Uh, Wood has, you know, an amputated leg. Wisnet apparently has to walk with a cane. And so there's these odd, odd things that just kind of parallel. And yeah. it's just, it's fascinating. Well, it was a, it was a really good blend of knowing when, when to be funny, knowing when to have a laugh at it because of the situation, but also knowing when to tell people, Hey, listen, yeah, that was funny. What we just showed you, but, Let's keep in mind, there's other things going on here that cause a situation. I mean, I, I watched this film twice in the last 48 hours because we had two screenings of it back-to-back nights. Right. And I was waiting for the moment where early in the film, they're detailing uh, the fact that what John Wood did when he was in a plane crash, and that's what caused him to, have, to lose his leg, but he wanted to keep the leg. So all the machinations he went through of like working with people to try to preserve the leg and try to keep it and get it. And right. he wanted to use it as a memorial and all this. And of course, everybody's laughing in the audience, rightfully so, because it is played for, hey, look at this. This is kind of crazy. The guy had a, a, his own leg and he had somebody at the Hardee's and Maiden put it in their freezer for a little while to try to keep it. And of course, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Right. But then the filmmakers do the really nice move of saying, okay, yep, that was really funny. All right, but let's tell you more about this plane crash. Right. And as you start getting into the plane crash, you're like, oh, my gosh. It wasn't just he was on a joyride and crashed and uh, lost part of his leg. He lost his father. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it was a traumatic situation, and it was really tough. Once you start getting all that information in the background, and the same thing happens with Shannon. You get a little bit of that same background information with him, too. That's, to me, what really makes this a really interesting documentary and not just a compilation of news footage about a really crazy story. You were asking about the, the stereotyping and how people view the South or view some of this, this culture. Sure. The fact of the matter is once you get deeper in the story, we're really only focusing on two people that were making some really ridiculous decisions. Sure. Okay. Everybody else around them, very strong people, sound decisions in most situations or reasons for the decisions they're making, choosing to support or not support these two and having very logical reasons for doing it. I actually admired everybody else in the film that was featured. Mm-hmm. The mother of John Wood, I thought was a really interesting character. They kind of paint her in one light early on, but then you start to really get an understanding of where she's coming from. Sure. You start to sympathize with her. Uh, Shannon's wife, the very first time we meet her, it's a very 
a little more comical, a little more, oh gosh, look at his wife type of thing. But then you get to know her and it's like, okay, wow, she's, she's got a lot going on right now too. And she's really working hard to, to deal with the situation. Um, I think the, the sister, John Wood's sister, was a really strong woman character in the film. And again, I think when you get to the end of the film, there's no Southern stereotype that anybody would look at this and say it's a bunch of dumb idiots in this story. Right. You could say that maybe about the two protagonists to some degree still, the choices they made. But I don't think there's any way you could say it about the other people around them at all. So, um, and really at that point, you forget about it being in the South. And it's really just these are two people that could be anywhere in the world. Shannon Wistick could be anywhere. Sure. John Wood could be anywhere. And they sure. could have done this exact same thing. Doesn't matter. The South was just happened to be where it was. And I, I was impressed, too, where it delved into family. And mm-hmm. that's something that I didn't kind of expect. And, you know, families supporting people, maybe casting them out because they're having problems and the person is not straightening themselves out and having to deal with the repercussions of that and it was a lot more about fam- both families, uh, Woods family and Wisnett's family, and supporting and maybe not supporting. And I, it just was a lot deeper than you would expect Absolutely. on the surface. So Absolutely. Nice and another thing I thought was, was interesting, too, and a reason why I don't think that this is an automatic indictment of the Southern culture or anybody around it, is that every single person that was featured in this film, outside of Shannon and John, looked at this situation and commented about how ridiculous the situation was. The newscasters, every bit of newscasting that was on there, it was just, okay, can we really believe this is what's going on? So it wasn't like everybody just was all all up in it and, and loving it. And family members as well would be like, oh, you know, even of the family members of the person they were talking about, they would comment, Wood's family would comment on Wood and be like, oh, you know, roll their eyes. But they And they would roll their eyes about Wisnett same way. You know, the, both families were just kind of, like you're saying, they were addressing the situation head on and saying, it's ridiculous. If anything, I think actually some, somewhere in the film that, you know, or in, in, the, in the documentary where somebody kind of looks bad and doesn't really get redeemed very much, is I think uh, the producers of the reality show late in the film that kind of use Shannon and, you know, you could argue Shannon got, we, we learned that Shannon Wiston is just someone who really wants to be on TV. He really wants to be a star. He wants people to know him. He wants people to recognize him. So he does get invited to be a play a part in a reality show. Now, granted Shannon, I'm sure probably played it up a lot bigger in his head of what it was going to be and had a lot more of an idea. Right. I do feel like they painted, they showed that the TV producers were kind of using him for a little bit of a laugh and it was a very small moment in the show and it really upset Shannon Wisnett. So he, he was very, disappointed in the whole situation so i think the tv producers get a little bit of the slight i think the tv judge in the situation a little bit gets slighted so it's almost like you know even though we're, we're meant to kind of think at the beginning that we're going to make fun of these southern people it's actually these media tv people and all that that actually kind of come out looking a little a little slighted at some points too well and i yeah it's yes i think that's a strength of the documentary agreed is that you know, you go in thinking it's going to put these two people under a microscope and make them look stupid, and we're going to laugh at that. What it does is, yes, it shows them, but it also focuses on um, family, but also focuses on media, mm-hmm. uh, the reality show, mm-hmm. and then also the the reality court show. And both of those, it kind of says which you know, the public at large watches, and what does that say about what you want to see about people and what you're, you know, mm-hmm. um, that that all being said, not that we're not I'm not going to spoil anything, but what happens because of the interaction with the uh, court TV show? Oh no, yeah, I found the after effect really, really surprising, and it actually kind of turned it did. an, as, an assumption right. that you would have on its head a little bit. No, so, I agree, and I was gonna I was gonna actually come back and follow up on my comment and say that yeah, but it's not all all negative that's perceived there. The problem is is that and gosh, we can get so philosophical with this documentary, which is so <laughs> which interesting is awesome. to think, yeah. yeah. It's really showing, I mean, I've commented many times before that I'm afraid our society is one that it's encouraging everybody to think that they can be funny and famous. Mm. That's our society right now. Everybody, I mean, I'm going to say, I say everybody in a very generic term. So many people in our society feel like that because of the entertainment options available, that everybody can be funny. Everybody can be famous. Everybody can get attention like at a high level. And Shannon Wisnett is the personification of that. And to see how it actually affects him when he doesn't get that right. level of fame 
it's, it's really sad. I mean, it's really, you see the impact of it. You see what people who are led their entire life to believe that they could become a big famous movie star or a comedian or a TV personality and they don't get to how troubling that is and how it can actually take a toll on someone. But yet we have these reality shows and we have this media and all that, that are actually encouraging us to say, Oh yeah, you can be a star. Oh, you can come on the Jerry Springer show and be a, be a, be a, be a crazy guy and have everybody pay attention to you. We're giving you all these opportunities to do it. But in the end, it's not really a satisfying situation and it it does leave some people scarred behind. Um, I thought that whole part of it was, was, was amazing. There was a moment in the film. I mean, think that I actually got a little emotional a couple moments in the film was pretty impressive but there was a moment where uh, Shannon was talking about after the judge the judge Mathis show appearance where they finally got a ruling done on who owned this foot um, and he left the courtroom and he was describing the feeling when he actually had media surrounding him taking photographs asking him questions he he got choked up and yeah. he just said that's that's a moment I'll never forget right and it, all it was was I had a crowd of people surrounding me wanting to talk to me and wanting to put me on camera. Mm-hmm. Granted, they were all probably doing it to showcase the ridiculousness of the situation and the claim and this character. He didn't care. Right. He just loved the fact that people were paying attention to him. Yeah. And man, that moment was just made this a whole deeper level documentary than just Oh, two two country bumpkins fight over a severed foot and that they kept in a sure. smoker grill. You know, that's what I thought was really impressive about it. I really, really did like this film a lot. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot too. And uh, several people in the audience commented, "I had no interest in seeing this film." Yeah. you know, I you know heard had heard the, a little bit about it. I'd seen the movie poster, saw that you know, I just was like, no. But I came tonight. I gave it a chance, and I'm so glad I did. And I, you know, I also liked it. And I'd recommend to our listeners if you're the slightest bit interested. You know, seek it out. So it is on. It is on iTunes. It is on iTunes, and a lot of people ask me, "Did you actually get to see the foot in the film?" And yes, you do. In a few scenes, um, it's not overplayed, which I think is it was nice, and it was kind of a build up. It was almost the the Jaws thing where you didn't really see the shark until close to the end of the film, where you didn't see the foot till the end either. Right. But um, it's at its core, yes, it is on the surface a very funny situation, ridiculous situation that you're going to find yourself laughing about. Uh, more than not, but I love what we're talking about here. And why I think we both connected with the film is that much, much deeper base of what's going on. Family wise, human nature, characters, everything It's just, it's a really, really good film. I right? agree. Awesome. So that's finders keepers. Uh, I know it got, had a very limited theater run, made some film festival circuits more than anything. You can get it online. I know it's on I- Apple iTunes. I would imagine probably Amazon and other places you could get the film as well. We do think if you're at all a fan of documentaries or have any passing interest in the topic, yes, it is worth checking out to go see. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got a couple news items to go through and talk about some movie related industry news. And then we'll wrap up the show with our recommendation for the episode. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with foot candle films. When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out chick chat on the mesh. It's girls talking about stuff. Well, girls want to talk about celebrities, gossip, fads, boys. It's kind of the guilty pleasure of the mesh network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting? Is at the beginning of a new season when the montage would change yes. and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when you the- got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> an example. Perfect example. You need to know. You can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what? what I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay, that nine or two one zero. It changed every season, you it know. Did. And then they had the beach summer one, where like where they the, worked at the country club. Yes, yes. you know, and the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff. And uh-huh. then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around. Right. Oh you know yeah. I mean? Yeah yeah. So it's all it's even all. Baywatch when they changed lifeguards. <gasps> Absolutely, they had new people running down the beach in red bikinis. But you knew they're a new lifeguard. <laughs> I need to get invested in that. So come have a listen to Chick Chat on TheMesh.TV. You know you want to. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. I'm Alan. He's Chris. Yes. And we just finished our reviews of Bridge of Spies and Finders Keepers, both films with positive reviews from us. Sounds like we were both really enamored, though, with Finders Keepers. Bridge of Spies, 
it was fine. It was a good film. It's worth seeing. Uh, Finders Keepers were definitely recommending, though, however. Chris, we always like to talk a little bit of movie news. You know, we're not industry pundits. Right. We're not going to give this really critical analysis of films that are being made and all that. But we're fascinated by the idea of what films are coming out soon, which ones certain filmmakers are working on. And here is the time we're, that we're recording this. This is mid-November. This is getting into the the main big season of our year, the big right. Oscar season. Sure. This is like our playoff season Okay, for NFL. <laughs> This yep. is where the films are being bottled up and released, and they have to be released in some capacity by December 31st to be eligible for the Academy Award nominations that come out in late January, maybe? Uh, right. Somewhere in there. And then you have the ceremony in late February, February or right. so. So we have a lot of releases coming up the next few weeks. Here's what I thought would be interesting. Okay. I, I was just scanning through this list last night and said, wow, there's some really interesting films coming out in the next 60 days. I'm going to hit at some of these really quick, and okay. I just want to give some quick responses from both of us. Are we interested? Do we think it's going to be worthy of anything going on, or what? what's the backstory on it? Okay? Okay. Um, so we have <laughs> – I know you are not a big fan at all of uh, This Is The End. No. Which was uh, Seth Rogen, uh, Jonah Hill, that whole crew. Well – the interview we talked about as well. Mm-hmm. I think you liked the interview better than This Is The End. I did. Okay. I Meaning thought it was I fine, too. I actually liked it. Yeah, you liked <laughs> as it. As opposed to, yeah. Well, that same, I mean, they, they kind of tout it as that same production crew doing a film called The Night Before. And this is Seth Rogen, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and then uh, Anthony Mackie doing a comedy, a Christmas-related comedy. I already see you shaking your head. So no interest? Not really. I mean, okay. Joseph Gordon-Levitt could make me go see it, but I, I've got to hear, like, really high reviews of that. Otherwise yeah. I'm planning on skipping it. Yeah. I don't have much interest in it either. But again, if I hear a lot of people saying it was really funny, which is what happened with this is the end. I had no interest in seeing it. A lot of people tell me it's funny. And you are not wrong. one of those people, <laughs> but everybody else was right. telling me it was funny. I went to go see it. I did think it was very funny. Oh, man. You told me it wasn't and you were wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> um, the secret in their eyes. Did you see the original uh, foreign version of this film? No. Okay, I have not either. Okay. Secret in Their Eyes, starring Chiwetel Ejiofor and Julia Roberts, is a remake of a film. Oh, man. You talk about a film I couldn't be less interested to see and hope that it doesn't get good reviews because I really don't want to have to see it. It's this film. Really? It just seems like grueling subject matter and not, you know, in general. I go to the movies to be entertained, like most people do. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's to be challenged. But this movie, just like, why would I want to subject myself <laughs> to it? It'd be like me going on a really fast roller coaster at an amusement park. Why would I do that? I don't like roller coasters. Why would I subject myself to that? That's what this film seems like. It just seems like unpleasantness from the get-go. It wow. reminds me, actually, a lot of that movie Prisoners, that we reviewed because we'd heard a lot of interesting things about it, had a great cast Mm -hmm. and I admit that it was well-made and it wasn't, but it was still had a lot of very uncomfortable scenes that Mm -hmm. were involving like torture and all this kind of stuff that was just very unpleasant. That's what this movie looks to be. Yeah. I couldn't be less interested in seeing this movie. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I don't have an opinion on it. I, uh, I'm actually more interested now that they've made this adaptation. I want to go back and see the Argentinian film, the 2010 Mm -hmm. version, because obviously I remember hearing some really good reviews about that film. Obviously, it's good enough that somebody in Hollywood said, oh, we ought to remake that. So sure. I actually want to go see the Argentinian film. Could care less about the American version, though. Um, uh, one thing I thought that was just interesting is you I, do have the writer and director of the film. Actually, the director, is, his name is Billy Ray, which how interesting is that? We have some connections there. He did Breach and he did Shattered Glass in the last uh, 15 years or so. Okay, I haven't seen Breach, but I have seen Shattered Glass. Yeah. So. He's a writer. He's written a lot of films. He wrote Captain Phillips screenplay. Hmm. He wrote State of Play, Flight Plan, Suspect Zero, Shattered Glass, hmm. uh, The Hunger Games. He wrote the screenplay for the first Hunger Games movie. Um, so there's some cred behind it and obviously a lot of good big name actors in it. But I agree with you. It does look pretty pretty traumatic you know if uh, anything i would be interested like you said to go check out the original argentinian version because there again i could be completely off base but a lot of times foreign films maybe because they don't have the budget or i wonder if it would be quite as dark and quite as intense and quite as in your face and it'd be more of kind of like here's a story and i think i may gravitate to seeing that version as opposed to what just seems like a really amped up dose of unpleasantness (laughs) so um, the Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part Two. Nope. 
See, I haven't seen the last. Oh, for three. You haven't seen them? <laughs> no, I'm saying 0 for 3 so far on the news. Oh, well, this, is, this being the third them. one that I, um, I... I just never saw... I think I saw Catching Fire. Um, didn't really really do anything for me. But you didn't I haven't see Hunger Games, the first I did one. see the first one. Okay, okay. Which I thought the first one was good. Okay. I like the first one. Sure. The second one, I know you've got to get deeper into the mythology, and I just wasn't really interested in getting into it. Haven't seen Mockingjay Part 1. I'll catch up with it someday, but I'm not going to be running out to the theater to see it. Yeah, I, I don't have... Someday I will be proven wrong on this. I know it's going to happen and I'll have to eat my words. I really dislike the concept of taking a book and splitting it up into 15 million movies. <laughs> yeah. Didn't like it when they did. I thought I didn't like it when they did it to the um, Return of the King. Did they split Return of the King up or no? No, they no. didn't. They kept that one. But it was The Hobbit where they split oh, the one book up into, into like three 8 movies. million movies. Yeah. Dumb. When they did that, of course, I don't really care about Twilight because I haven't seen it. So it doesn't matter. They when did they Harry did Potter. Harry Potter, one. that that bothered me. Um, Hunger Games, just an abuse of power. So, I mean, they should not have done that. Um, so I really have little or no... I, I've seen all of them, but, I mean, they could have easily wrapped it up in the last movie, but instead they split it. Just dumb. So, no, mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm not going for that either. We're not, not we're not really doing too good with any of these films coming up. Okay, we're getting into late November, will early you, December. Will you break your code? Because right. coming up December 18th is something that... We'll, we'll get there in a moment. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Good Dinosaur, the new Pixar film coming out November 25th. You're shaking your head again. Nothing, Careless. Nothing at all. Nope. I got to admit... I hope... I hope... I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. Because that's the kind of thing with something like Inside Out. I was kind of like, I have no interest. Went and saw it, and I liked it. So. Yeah. I'm hoping that it's one of those where I'm pleasantly surprised. But. Um, Victor Frankenstein. This is uh, James McAvoy, Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah. Um, I'll go ahead and say it for a record. I, 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 I love any time they dig out the classic monster movies and try to do some, a new spin on it. But this looks does not look good. No. And I think it's it's but I. I Okay, I it's heard the CG, about it. It's the heavy CGI use, which I think, is, is what just upset Which has me. a count against it. I yeah. was, of all the ones you've mentioned so far, this is the one I'm slightly interested in because I'm hoping the trailer is just poorly edited and they're marketing it poorly mm-hmm. because I like the two actors and I think there is possibility for something interesting there. They're kind mm. of doing a, you know, a reboot type idea of the Frankenstein story and they're kind of once yeah. upon a timing it where they kind of add some nuance to it. It, it seems interesting, but yeah. it's probably not going to be good. I, I, all I can think back is what was the film that came out? Was it I Frankenstein? Yes. Yeah. Where they try to put this new modern spin on the story. It's just ugh. didn't work. Didn't work. And I'm sorry. The movie poster for Victor Frankenstein is looking like real you know, pretty boy poses of Victor Frankenstein <laughs> and Igor. And I'm just like, you know, that's not what I want. So uh, yeah. All right. So I'm still, nothing is really striking. Okay, my so interest you're and four. I'm, Oh, and 3.5? Yeah. I'm kind of half interested. All right. November 25th, so basically right around Thanksgiving, we've got Creed. This is the Rocky spinoff, in a way. We actually found out it's Apollo Creed's son, played by Michael B. Jordan. Sylvester Stallone is in the film as Rocky Balboa. I'll go ahead and say for the record, I want to see this. Did Sylvester Stallone, other than being in it, is he directing it? No, no, no. Is he writing it? Uh, no, no. Ryan Coogler, who did uh, Fruitvale Station, okay, is directing the film. I think it has. I liked Fruitvale Station. Yep. I like Michael B. Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm interested. I I love the sports underdog storyline of things, and this one, all the trailers look to be a very real, a real life, a real life depiction of the story instead of the heightened Rocky three, four, five that we got of the sure. superhero boxer type of thing. Sure. I want something real. I want something authentic. And what I'm seeing so far looks really, really good. I think, I think it'll be an okay movie. The question is, can they make it? It'll be a good movie. Can they make it a great movie? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know um, either. The potential is there. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. There's a lot of little other films I've probably never heard of and ones that probably won't come to anybody's theater near them. Okay. But skipping ahead to December 11th, we've got In the Heart of the Sea. Have you heard of this with Chris Hemsworth? It's a Ron Howard film, and it is basically the real-life story that led to uh, Melville writing Moby, Moby Dick. Dick. So it's the winter of 1820. New England whaling ship was assaulted by a giant mammoth whale. Um, it's the story that will inspire Herman Melville's Moby Dick. So I've seen the trailers. It does look to be a big oceanic spe- uh, spectacle film. I'm curious. I'm not, you know, I have to wait and hear if it's a good film or not to go out and see it, but I'm curious. I, I can't, 
dislike it more than I like the book Moby Dick. So mm-hmm. that being said, because um, <laughs> I really hated that book when well, I read it. Well, that's probably um, <laughs> not helping that much. So. so, But I do like Chris Hemsworth. Um, mm-hmm. I have not seen Vacation, which came out this year, which was apparently an abomination. Yeah. But um, I liked him in um, Rush. Was that the name of yep. the, the mm-hmm. Yeah, Rush was good. Movie. And I that was a Ron Howard film too. Okay, I mm-hmm. liked him in that. Um, I like him in the Avengers movies as Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, you know, so I, I don't know. I, I like him. It's enough there that it's an interesting that they're bothering to make it. So. What I'm curious about is I really like Masher and Commander, uh, mm-hmm. the Russell Crowe film okay. from uh, quite a, a few number, a few years ago. And I got okay. a little bit of that feel, this classic oceanic giant ship uh, epic film. And I loved Masher and Commander. And I thought, well, okay, if I get anything, the same kind of feel from this. And Ron Howard, he's, He's got good films in him. He's also made some really bad films. So it just kind of depends which one shows up for this film. Sure. But I do think Rush, if he can match that same authenticity level that he did with Rush and both the and the energy level of the film, then it could be a good film. See, I remember thinking Master and Commander was like reading the phone book, but maybe not. No, maybe, it's a maybe. good film. You're wrong. I'll have, Sorry. I'll have, I'll have to get yeah, back and You need to go back it. and fix that. It's a good film. Okay. Um, okay, so now we come to the big day, the one everybody's talking about, the one everybody's excited about. So much enthusiasm for this film. December 18th. There we go. Here it is. Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Road Chip. Yes. <laughs> That's the third or fourth movie. I have years. no idea. I didn't know they were still making these films. Actually, me pulling it up on my mobile phone right now, this is the first time I'm aware that they're making another Alvin and the Chipmunks movie. Man. All right, obviously, I'm joking about that. Obviously, we have Star Wars Episode Seven. I don't even think we need to go into it. We've already decreed yeah. on this show that we're not going to go into any news rumors. We, right. I have every time I go to a movie news site, Chris, I keep getting hit over the head with a headline saying "new commercial out with new footage." I'm like, nope, 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 nope. So I have not honestly seen anything in like the last month or so about this film. I'm so excited, but, but. I'm also excited and. I have not watched any trailer. I didn't even watch the new trailer that came out a while ago before the recent set of new trailer. I haven't seen any since the original teaser trailer. Wow. But unfortunately, I think I saw a passing thing that may have ruined something for me. So, mm. dang it. So, let me ask you about Christmas Day. Okay. Because here's the thing I'm fascinated by. This is going to be the last date we talk about because we get to December 31st. Okay. I started looking at the list of films coming out December, Christmas Day, December 25th, and I'm amazed at this day. All right, listen to this. Okay. You have the latest David O. Russell, David O. Russell film, Joy. Yep. With Jennifer Lawrence, Robert De Niro, and Bradley and, Cooper. And Bradley Cooper, two yep. of his like recurring cast people. Yeah. You have Concussion with Will Smith. Right. Which I think will be an interesting film simply because of the subject matter and the fact that it's basically pointing a lot of fingers at the NFL as, a, as, a, as, a, as an entity, which is interesting to me. Sure. We have The Revenant. Which is Leonardo DiCaprio and the from your director, uh, yes, Mr. Inari Two, uh, which I think the trailer on it's really fascinating and intense. I'm anxious to see it. We've got the Point Blank re- Point Break remake <laughs> with Edgar no, you can, Ramirez. You can call it Point Blank. That's yeah, fine. Point Blank. <laughs> That's fine. We have a Will Ferrell comedy with Mark Wahlberg called Daddy's Home, which I will say the last time these two were together in a comedy, which was the other guys, I thought was really funny. I've seen the trailers for Daddy's Home. Looks pretty funny. Who knows? And then we've got Tarantino's The Hateful Eight, all coming out Christmas Day. I know which one I'm going to try. Well, to I was going to say, I don't even need to ask you which of those five or six movies that nope. you would be beelining it to the movie theater to see. And of course, it's Concussion. No, it's The Hateful Eight. Absolutely. Tarantino. Um, I'm with you on that. That's probably my favorite. I, although I'm going to say Joy is also right up there, just simply because I've been such a big fan of Russell's films since... Gosh, when, I mean, I really like Silver Lines Playbook. I really liked American Hustle. You like um, Flirting with Disaster. I did like Flirting with Disaster. Three Kings is the one I need to go back and watch again. I remember watching it and thinking it was fine, but I didn't really get connected with it. Mm-hmm. Um, How about I Heart Huckabees? I do like that, that film, too. That is my too. absolute I favorite like that So, you know, he's batting close to 100% for me on films. So I just think this this looks really good as well. So I'm excited to see Joy. Not as much as Hateful Eight. If you told me I could only buy one ticket Christmas Day, which is it going to be? I'm going to go see the Tarantino film. But you gave me two tickets. I'll go see Joy right <laughs> afterwards. Um, Concussion, I'm interested in simply because I think it's ballsy of them to go after the NFL like they are. Uh, the Rever- Revenant, I am very, very interested in. But I know it's not going to be here probably in Hickory on Christmas Day. So I'll have to wait a little while to see it. Daddy's Home, I can wait till it comes out on video, DVD, or Netflix, or whatever. Right. Uh, and Point Break, nah, don't need it. 
So um, overall, it should be an interesting Christmas day. Yeah. The problem is, is that, Chris, I, I, our family normally likes to go out on Christmas afternoon, Christmas day, and go see a movie. I can't take my kids to any of these movies. No, I don't <laughs> so, think uh, Hateful Eight's probably... I mean, concession is the, uh, con- Concussion is the only one that's PG-13, and I don't really think my kids are... I don't think that's quite the feel-good Christmas Day movie that we as the kids want to go out and see. So. Well, just let them see Star Wars again, and you go see no, <laughs> Hateful Eight. That's really good. <laughs> Really, that's it for this calendar year as far as films go right now. Now, here's the interesting thing. I didn't mention The uh, the Danish Girl, which is also coming out. We've also got Macbeth with Fassbender. There's a couple in there that you know are Oscar buzz films, but really, there's not that many. So I'm really <laughs> curious what the Oscar makeup's going to look like uh, at the end of the so year. So Carol doesn't come out on Christmas Day? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it's going to be limited release before the end of the year. So it's sure. in for Oscar season, but it's not going to be playing in a lot of places okay. before then. Um, all right. You had a movie news item as well, right? Yes. Yes. So Spectre, the latest James Bond movie. I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. It set a world record, a Guinness World Record for the biggest movie explosion on location. Biggest Mar- movie explosion. Yes. Okay. Biggest movie gotcha. explosion. You probably can pinpoint the point in the film because you've yes. seen it. In Morocco, shot on location, demanded 2,224 gallons of fuel and 73 pounds of explosives. Yes. Okay. So is that all that's notable about this movie? <laughs> um, you've seen it. Mm-hmm. has a really big explosion. Got a Guinness record for it. But, you know, I've I, heard I will, some negative stuff well, about it. I will say it, the so. explosion was pretty impressive. <laughs> okay. okay. It was worth that. all 2,000. Okay. It was impressive. It was one of those where you are when you see it start to happen because I had no idea anything okay. about it when I saw the film. Oh, I'm going to be looking for it if I go oh, see I, the movie now. But I had no idea. I didn't expect it at all. And when it actually took place, you're just—it is a little bit of that moment of "Ooh, wow! That was that was pretty big," you know. So, so something if you're into things blowing up, you should see this in the theater because it's very impressive. Yeah, go to the big D giant screen and go watch the world's biggest <laughs> film explosion happen. I mean, it got a Guinness record. So yeah, okay. Um, but can I can I can I jump format here a little bit and sure. lead right into my recommendations? Absolutely. Is that okay? Absolutely. Because I, I feel like I, I kind of need to defend this film a little bit. Okay. You know? Yeah, Spectre, it's been kind of ragged. Spectre is my recommendation, and I know it's in theaters. It's not one you can see online right now at all, but and that kind of breaks with format a little bit. That's two in a row because uh, Crimson Peak was the same I know. as Mr. Jackson. problem is I haven't seen as many films at home online lately. I've been ah. in the movie theater a lot more than not. Gotcha. Um, I'm going to say Spectre. I, I hate that it's getting some of the negative buzz it is. I, is it as good as Skyfall? Not really. It's a little notch below. Um, but is it a good James Bond film? Absolutely. It's a great James Bond film. Uh, Daniel Craig, people are complaining that he looks bored in the film. <laughs> I would say he looks bored in all the films he's been in as James Bond. I thought he looked bored in Casino Royale, but it's a little bit of that cool James Bond exterior that he's putting on. Gotcha. It's no different. I just think people now are starting to be a little more critical and be like, oh, he just doesn't look like he wants to be there. Hmm. Well, he's pretty much said that he's, I think he's done with James Bond. But, I mean, he doesn't act any different than he did in the other three films. Gotcha. Um, this one I will say. Christoph Waltz? Christoph Waltz was good. He's fine. He's in the movie very little. Oh. A lot, a lot smaller amount than I would have liked. Hmm. But it was effective, and I think it worked. Um, people complain that, you know, it's, it's, it's a little more like the old cheesy James Bond film. It had more of those elements. Yeah, it does. It's the closest of the Daniel Craig movies to the old classic Bond films. Okay. You have a big shadowy organization. You've got a mastermind over that organization. James Bond at one point gets put into a physical trap where he is being taunted by the villain and something is going to happen ridiculous to his body based on what the villain's going to do to him. And it's this slow, torturous thing that is straight out of a nineteen, out of Goldfinger and other sixties James Bond films. It was fine. I mean, it was fun. It was probably the least serious of the James of the Daniel Craig films. Hmm. Um, it definitely had more tongue in cheek at the end. A couple of situations that were absolutely ridiculous and over the top. But I also went back and watched some of the opening scenes of some of the old seventies and early eighties Roger Moore ones, and those were absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. Okay. So you know what? If you like James Bond classically, you like the the 30, 40 years we've had of Bond films, I think this is a good entry. Okay. Um, I would say of the, of the Daniel Gregg films, my favorite is still Christina Royale, the okay. first one. I thought that was just a masterfully done Bond film. No one likes Quantum of Solace. No, that's, that's my least favorite. <laughs> sure. Um, Casino Royale, Skyfall, I like a little bit better than Spectre. Spectre, shortly after. And then there's a big gap down to Quantum of Solace. Gotcha. Um, 
overall though, I just, I think people are going in and they're ready to pick it apart now. Gotcha. You know, you've hit your popularity peak with a uh, skyfall. That was like the biggest James Bond film ever. Mm-hmm. Now you got the darts throwing at it and it's on its way down. And Daniel Craig didn't really do many favors by doing a lot of TV interviews, talking about how he's kind of tired of playing James Bond, thinks he's a, uh, a chauvinist and all that. That's going to just start putting little daggers in people's pockets to say, oh, yeah, so if he's ragging on the film and character, we can do it too. Sure. So it's fine. It's a good film. It's fun. It's, uh, my kids enjoyed it. You know, the only thing they said afterwards is it was a lot like Mission Impossible. I'm like, yes, it was. Well, there were a lot of plot points very similar to Mission Impossible 5. That's kind of what I was thinking. When we reviewed Rogue Nation earlier this year, I wasn't that big on it. And I was like, you know, not that I'm a huge fan of either James Bond or Mission Impossible, but I think what they're doing with the James Bond thing, I'll be more interested in. So do you actually think, and maybe I will when I finally see Spectre, do you think it hurt this film to be released within the same year? A little so bit. close to Mission Impossible. A little Impossible bit, because there are a lot of similarities to it. And okay. even plot points and certain set pieces are very similar. Huh. So I do think it probably hurt. Okay. But I'm saying, you know, don't, don't buy all the online critics and people saying it, it's not that good. It's a fine James Bond film. It's better than average. <laughs> I think it was good. And if this is the last one Daniel Craig's doing, I think it was a pretty good send off. So okay. it's okay. Good. What's your recommendation for us? Well, unfortunately I'm also going to recommend something that is not easily available online unless mm-hmm. you happen to be an HBO subscriber or, or know can, somebody with or an HBO know somebody who does. Yeah. <laughs> I can use HBO go. Um, I finally got to see Cobain montage of heck, uh-huh, which is the Kurt Cobain documentary. Yes. Yeah. And I have been anticipating this thing for a long time since I think it premiered at Tribeca maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've just, I was a, still am a big Nirvana fan. I really sure. like their music. And, uh, I was curious because I'd heard that the documentary was very interesting in that it basically took pages of his journal, lots of pages of his journals and animated them and like used the words and basically made his journals come to life so you could try to get inside the mind, although that sounds horribly cheesy, mm-hmm. of Kurt Cobain. And I feel like they did do that and it was very effective. Um, they had really in-depth interviews with Courtney Love, his wife, uh, Chris Novoselic, who was the other band member of Nirvana, with his um, mom, with Kurt Cobain's mm. mom, wow. and with Kurt Cobain's sister. And, you know, lots of different people, and they talked at length about things, and they showed family photos of Kurt Cobain at, like, age two, you know, <laughs> all this stuff, and, like, slowly ramped up. This documentary is over two, it's almost two and a half hours long. Wow. So it is very... Expansive, but it goes pretty deep and a lot of good details and a lot of good. Yeah, it gives a lot yeah. of good details, and it's just you feel like you have seen his entire lifespan, and I feel like they did a really good job covering it. So much so that I hope they never. And you wouldn't think I would say this. I hope they never, ever, ever make a dramatization of the life of Kurt Cobain oh, yeah. because there's no way it can be as good as this documentary mm-hmm. because the documentary was just. Amazing. That's and they great. have they have access to you know, it's the benefit of somebody who was a good musician, who was very creative, and there was a lot of documentation because of things like MTV and because mm. of this stuff that they had lots of career spanning footage. So they had a wealth of stuff to use and they and they did and they used it to great effect. And I just if you're a fan of Nirvana at all um, I would highly recommend the the documentary. Cool. I will say, you know, unfortunately we all know he committed suicide so it you know it's pretty much a downer yeah but it does give you an insight into what made him the person he was yeah so. that's and it's definitely on my on my watch list right now so i've been looking forward to seeing it so uh been pretty impressed with some of the documentaries that hbo has been floating around lately so i know we've talked about going clear before as well and uh yeah they're doing some good stuff so i definitely i i, I started my hbo now account mainly to be able to get to some of those films and gotcha. looking forward to seeing it so Spectre and uh, Kurt Cobain Montage of Heck are the two recommendations for this episode. Of course, we did Bridge of Spies, Finders Keepers, recommendations on both of those as well. Uh, some other films that are coming out in the next 60 days from the time this was recorded. Of course, if you're listening to this episode after December 31st, all that will be. You can look at it. You can listen to it and say, boy, were they wrong about that one? Right. Or, yeah, that was amazing. Sure right on that. Right. Um, so you have the little bit of that benefit of retroactively evaluating what we said. 
Um, and then we talked, of course, about Spectre's big explosion, so uh, which is pretty big. I think it's already on online YouTube, so you can watch it without seeing the movie. Okay. I know. It's disappointing. But it is. But if you really don't want to pay nine bucks to go see the big explosion, just pop online, do a Google search. I'm sure you could find it. Hmm. So with that, we're going to wrap up the show. As a reminder to everybody, we are on TheMesh.tv, so that's where you can go to find old episodes and uh, subscribe to our show and all that good stuff. And then if, Chris, somebody is just burning with a question or comment or feedback – where can they go to reach us? You can reach us by jotting them off an email to info at themesh.tv and just tag it as foot candle and let us know what you did or did not like about our reviews. You can also leave us reviews on uh, Apple iTunes where they carry all of our podcasts. Going to mention real quick, it's a little bit of crossover synergy with one of the other podcasts on The Mesh, The Entrepreneur Exchange. They're going to be doing an episode where they're doing like a holiday movie preview or suggestions of holiday movies not the ones that are in the theaters but just of movies you might want to throw in the, the annual DVD entrepreneur movie extravaganza there we go yeah. and i believe it's, it's the like third, a tradition now it's the third annual it's the first time i've one. been on the show you've been on the show yes. uh, once before or twice before maybe um but i'm actually going to be on there with alan and with the host and we're all going to talk movies so that episode will be coming up shortly absolutely so be on the lookout for it crossovers yes just like in the old 80s sitcoms where you had the the facts of life girls showing up in different strokes <laughs> or something like that that's that's sure. what we're doing here so that's going to be fun All right, so that is our episode today. Thanks for listening, and remember to subscribe and give us some feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, uh, take care. We'll, We'll speak to you again. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.